Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. And I told you yesterday uh, that we were drawing some remembrances to the life of Elizabeth Elliot. If you've never heard of Elizabeth Elliot, I want to welcome you today, and I want to introduce you to her. She was an international speaker and author of over 25 books. Some of those 25 books have been in print for 40 years or longer. She was married to Jim Elliott for a very short time, and they gave birth to one child and were missionaries in Ecuador. They went to reach the Indians there, the Alka Indians, who are now the Warani Indians. And Jim and four of his colleagues and their families had a station in Palmara, and they were reaching the Indian tribe. They were bringing gifts. They had established what they called a beachhead. There was a tree house, and they were actually meeting and talking with the Indians along what was a tributary of the Amazon River. And then one day, they were all slayed by spears thrust upon them, and their bodies were found floating in the river. It was a tragedy of gargantuan proportion, leaving children and wives widow, widowed and fatherless. In 1956, this kind of event was a national, international event. It was on all the wires and all the papers and the front covers of the master and major periodicals like Life and Look magazine. Today, it's understood by ministries that understand what martyrdom is going on in this world, that we have 1,600 to 2,000 martyrs every year for the cause of Christ. Not, not because they've been rebels or done anything illegal, but for the cause of Christ. They were among the earliest, and it was so notable because there were five of them. And because of this death, Elizabeth went home, put her things in order, she and her two-year-old daughter, and calmed her mother and father and friends' fears and issued the declaration that she had forgiven them and she was going back to the jungle, which she did. She did. She went back to the jungle to the very exact people who had killed her husband and her daughter's father. I say that, and sometimes, I've said it so many times, sometimes I forget about the power of that. Do you have trouble forgiving people? I've had trouble forgiving people sometimes and certain people in my life. But here was the sterling example of this woman who forgave. She wrote the first book about all the events, and I recommend it to you. I recommend to you all of her books. Buy them, read them, read them all, and then read them again. C.S. Lewis is noted for saying, if you've read a wonderful book, if you think it's the best thing, then you should read it the second time. I'm not sure I've read all of them the second time, but I've certainly read all of them in excerpts. In 1989, she was the broadcaster on a program called Gateway to Joy, and they were doing a lot of ministry to women like we do, and to young women, and they invited me on the show many times, but they produced a little pamphlet called The Call to Spiritual Motherhood, 
And I'll never forget seeing this little pamphlet and then acknowledging that that was what I thought was my relationship with Elizabeth. She was my spiritual mother. And when I'm finished with these few remarks of some personal nature in remembering Elizabeth, you're going to be immediately in sync to what is the audio version of the eulogy that I was privileged to give at Elizabeth Elliott's memorial service at Wheaton College um, in the summer that she died 2015, five years ago. So this brochure starts out by describing Elizabeth's own journey. She went to Prairie Bible Institute and she was out of sync, didn't know what she was doing there. And a sweet woman knocked her on the door. Her name was Mrs. Cunningham, and uh, she was Scottish. And I wish Elizabeth were here, or I had taken an excerpt so you could hear her do her Scottish accents. She had a linguistic ability that would knock your socks off. And she had two of her eight grandchildren who had the same gift. And when there was a family dinner, there were 10 shepherds and two grands and two autos, it was riotous. And they would go from Scottish to Italian to, oh, it was hysterical. And so she describes Betty Deer and Mrs. Cunningham. And she described that she began to see that this work that Mrs. Cunningham had done by just knocking on the door and saying, if you need me, come in. And Elizabeth described the place that it was a cozy basement apartment that was so tiny that she never noticed how tiny it was because Mrs. Cunningham would pour her a cup of tea and give her a scone and they would talk about all things Elizabeth. She describes that during her lifetime then, she had what she always called the four Catherines, because in God's providence, there were four women who were spiritual mothers to her. Catherine Cunningham, who I just mentioned, Catherine Howard, who was her mother, Catherine Cumming, who was her house mother in college, and then Catherine Morgan, who was the widowed missionary in Columbia, who was actually the woman who who helped Elizabeth make the decision to go to Ecuador. These women had a vast influence on her life, and she was glad to say, not only did they have a vast influence, but I want you to consider having the same vast influence and be intentional about it. Well, I took that banner very seriously. I, I took it seriously perhaps because Elizabeth's own influence on my life had been so stark and so important and so transforming. But then the call to doing it, which I found, as she knew, in Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5. And for those of you who have heard me speak at all on mentoring or read my book on mentoring called Finding a Mentor, Being a Mentor, you know that that passage, those sentences in those three verses became the hallmark to what we are doing today 30 years later. What shall I teach these young women who came to me and said, mentor me, and I said no, and they wouldn't go away, and at the end of the year, I said yes. And when I said yes, all right, Lord, what shall I teach them? And there, only two times in my life, I went to the scripture, and there was, like it was neon, 
I don't know if neon color was in, but it was bright and yellow, and it said, teach them to be women of faith, wives, mothers, and keepers of their home. That has been the four mainstays of this work for 30 plus years. Uh, someone said to me, don't, haven't you run out of material? And I think, why no, I can, you can never run out of material when you're talking about things the scripture has called us to and such a vast majority of women in the world. And for all of you who listen to us from other countries, you are the same, a woman, a woman in interest of more things of faith, desiring to have more of Christ within her. A wife, the majority of women in the world get married. A mother, the majority of women in the world have children. And then you're keeping home, whether you're doing it well or not so well, whether it's big or small, you're keeping home a place to live. So Elizabeth gave these eight considerations of ways um, who you may be a woman who is saying right now, I want to do that. I've been wanting to do that. I feel called to do that. So let me encourage you to do a couple of things. First, look at that passage in Titus 2 and understand what Titus is doing. He has written to Paul. He says, Paul, these women are sitting around in the afternoon watching TV and soap operas and doing videos and tweeting and texting. Well, that's what they were doing akin to it. They had nothing to do in the afternoon. And usually a woman who becomes a spiritual mother is a bit older. Her marriage is settled. Her children are older. Her home is settled. She knows who God is. Read those passages and let them absorb into your heart. Pick up a copy of my book, Finding a Mentor, Being a Mentor. It's about the ways to do this. And listen to these eight things that Elizabeth said. Pray about it. Ask God to show you whom, what, and how. Consider writing a note or telephoning some younger woman who needs encouragement, as Paul has encouraged them to do. I love Paul's writing. He is saying, you go out and do it. Reach out. But I also know that in this culture, young women are knocking on the doors of older women more frequently than older women are knocking on the doors of younger women. Older women don't be concerned about what you offer because what you offer is Christ in you and your life perspective. Ask a young mother if you can do her ironing or take her children for babysitting or make her a cake or bring her a casserole. Uh, this is 1989. My dear friend is offering to do that. I often say, oh, offer to take her to coffee. <laughs> do what Mom Cunningham did for me. Invite someone to tea. Find out what she'd like you to pray for and uh, pray that God would bring her a Jim Elliot. That's what Mom Cunningham heard Elizabeth saying. Five, start a little prayer group of two or three. Six, organize a volunteer house cleaning pool to go every other week to help someone who's in need, especially a brand new mommy. Seven, have a lending library of books and spiritual for, for food. And eight, be the first of your group to be known as a what. Now, I can say what with a lot of vigor because when Elizabeth and I chatted about my starting a ministry, which we first called Homemakers by Choice, now Modern Homemakers, I said, we're looking for a name. And she said, oh, Dotto, that's easy. What? And I, I said, what? I don't want to belong to something that sounds like what. 
It was, we just laughed. We, I, I can still remember her voice and the giggle, and I kept peddling, you know, parroting it back. What? And she was, <laughs> what? And you know her linguistic abilities, sure, she would make intonations in those four syllables. But it was wise. It was a woman of Titus II. No, we didn't call it what. And I still wouldn't call it what. But I love the concept, and I love the simplicity of it. And as I end this time with you, I, I just want to tell you a few things from my heart. My husband and I have been talking about this the last few days. And I can be very emotional about my relationship with her. She was a mother to me. She was personal to me. She let me in her spaces, in her private spaces, in her private library, in her private study, a study that when they built the house had a front view of the Atlantic Ocean, into her bedroom where there was a rocking chair and a little table and a chaise lounge. I have that chaise lounge, that exact chaise lounge in my own home now. I watched the simplicity of her home. I mean, really, they had a lot on the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, what could you put on a lot on the Atlantic Ocean? And I must say candidly, well, they no longer live in that house, of course, and Lars has moved from that house also. Um, it was a very modest home. Did you hear modest? She was a modest woman. Did you hear simple? She was a simple woman. They could have built more. They could have given less. She could have had more furniture, but she was a simple woman born out of the very disciplines that I saw her live. I saw her live them, not teach them to me. She was personal in all that she said and did with me. She spoke straight to my heart with the truth of God. Her prayer life was to be admired, and yet when I begged her, I begged her to tell me exactly what she did on the morning, and of course she knew exactly what I was planning on doing, was going home and trying the exact same thing, and that would never have worked, only I didn't know it wouldn't have worked. She spoke to me about meditation, and even today the word meditation in some Christocentric circles is taboo. We can't say it because it might be associated with Eastern meditation. And yet I want to remind you that the scripture tells us that we are to meditate on his word day and night. In Joshua, in Psalm, it is not just one mentioned. She showed me what it meant to fast, not only fast from food, but to fast from activities. Elizabeth answered all of her own mail. She was fastidious about it. And she would take a fast from other things. I can remember having someone say to her more than once, well, Elizabeth, you know, hearing her study, her regime, her day's activities, what do you do for fun? And I thought, fun for her? Yes, she was a raucously, riotously funny woman. She laughed at everything. She loved well and deep. Her grandchildren were precious to her. But she did not spend hours. They didn't have a television in their home. They had a video recorder when videos, VHSs became popular. They would listen to a tape. They would read together at night. They would read to one another aloud. 
Richard Foster, whom I mentioned to you quite often, 40 years ago wrote a book, and he could have said, this is Elizabeth Elliot's life, because he talks about the disciplines of faith, the inward ones, prayer, meditation, fasting, and study. She studied God's word faithfully and taught it. The outward manifestations of these disciplines, solitude, stillness, simplicity, service, submission. Elizabeth manifested those outward disciplines and corporate. Oh, they spoke so often of their worship time in their churches or in the places and countries they visited. She spoke so often how important it was to me personally to confess my sins, to acknowledge them, and to confess them aloud and to confess those I might have sinned against. And the importance of guidance and instruction which she gave me, but she also encouraged me to seek from others. No one in the world introduced me to more writings, more broad writings than Elizabeth Elliot. She offered me books written by priests and nuns and missionaries and men and women and told me to look at the earth and watch the National Geographic programs because there you would see God. She spoke of her father's own interest in birds and her minor interest in watching these creatures that flew around the windows in front of her Atlantic Ocean. She was very, very real to me. I have in my hand a something who, if you've ever seen her speak, you would recognize. It's a little six-ring binder. It's not more than four and a half inches by six inches. And inside of it, the one that I have, is one's, the one that she took poems and writings and quotes. She typed them right onto these little pieces of scored paper and there are 50 or 60 of them here, including some of her own work. It's a treasure for me to have this, to own this, to refer to it, to continue to read all of the writings that she had recommended. And as we end our time together today, I want to read to you a, a few lines from a piece that Elizabeth wrote. I'm looking and I know you can hear me ruffling my papers. I'm looking. Why don't I have it out here, she says. Why don't I? Because I pulled it out. I have a copy of it in my, I have a copy of it in my bedroom underneath a glass top. Well, here's one. She wrote a book called uh, The Quiet Heart. And of all the books of Elizabeth's, if you've never read anything of hers, this is an anthology of things that she used during the Gateway to Joy broadcasting. They're devotional reading, one a day. And I believe this is where it came from. This is two stanzas written by Elizabeth Howard in 1947. Lord, give to me the quiet heart that does not ask to understand, but confident steps forwards in the darkness guided by thy hand. Help me to wait on thee, my Lord, this feverish, wavering doubt remove, my willful, turbulent spirit still, a captive to thy perfect love. 
Well, I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemaker. And thank you for listening to the treasures of my heart about the grandmother of my daughter, the great-grandmother of my grandchildren, and the mother of my heart. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of considering whether you should be the mother of someone's heart.